Welcome to the Intelligence Briefing, What's the Buzz? Where leaders and hands-on experts in AI and automation share how they have turned hype into outcome. I'm your host, Andreas Welch, and if you would like to stay current on running AI in business, make sure to sign up for my newsletter at intelligence-briefing.com. Today, we'll talk about how you can help your data scientists learn about the business that they support. And who better to talk to about it than somebody who's really passionate about doing that? Mark Stoos. Hey, Mark, thanks for hopping on. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do? I'm a business leader, a longtime large company marketer, CMO in very large companies like Honeywell Aerospace for 20 years have been really into leading and championing the use of analytics-led decision-making in those functions that I led and in those businesses that I was a part of. Today, I'm the CEO of Proof Analytics. Thanks for sharing. So definitely sounds like there's some good data science work going on under the, the hood as well. So really glad to have you on and uh, learn more from you today. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, should we play a little game to kick things off? What do you say? Sure, absolutely. Why not? All right, good. This one is called In Your Own Words. And when I hit the buzzer, the wheels will start spinning. When they stop, you'll see a sentence. And I'd like you to complete that sentence in your own words with the first thing that comes to mind and why. To make it a little more interesting, you only have 60 seconds on the clock. And we're very okay. curious to see what you come up with. Are you ready for what's the buzz? Yes. Here we go. If AI were a tool, what would it be? 60 seconds on the clock, go. A magnifying glass. Why would it be a magnifying glass? It tends to illuminate things that are not obvious. And if you're not careful, it can also set them on fire. That's a pretty good and concise answer. I really like that. Magnifying glass, that's a new one. I think also AI is a bit under the magnifying glass as well itself, right? Very much. Yeah. If you follow the news and everything that's going on, and I'm sure business leaders themselves are using that magnifying glass to see where are the opportunities. Really love that answer. Now to go more to the ones that we had prepared for our talk, you, you must be seeing that as, as well in, in your business and in, in your work. And I'm sure you've seen that uh, over the course of your career where it, it's been data-driven, where you've worked with uh, folks in, in analytics functions, in data science, in AI. What do you see are the, the key challenges when, on one hand, these technical data science AI teams work together, but on the other hand, business? What are the key challenges? We can just start with the fact that there's not a common language and that a lot of the phrases that are thrown around, data-driven being one of them, actually are really problematic. A lot of these fundamentals get lost in the shuffle after a while. Data is always and only about the past. So saying that you are data-driven is the equivalent to driving your car on the freeway at 100 miles an hour, looking only in the rearview mirror. And it's not going to be very long before you have an unpleasant experience doing that right? Really, we need to be analytics-led. Now, I'll be the first to say that analytics-led doesn't roll off the tongue. The alliteration is not as cool as data-driven, right? But it is factually far more accurate. 
And it acknowledges the fact that data is a, a raw material that like crude oil, if you pour it straight into your car, it's not going to run. You have to refine it further to gain utility to actually drive something, make it happen. The same thing is true for most data, particularly in a business context where almost all of the uh, of the questions that business leaders have are around causality. If you're not reducing data, if you're not distilling data by mixing it in with other data to catalyze it and get it into a multivariable state where you're starting to see causality, you're not going to be answering most business leaders' questions. Likewise, I think if you try for a super academic cult of precision approach to data science in a business context, you will be perpetually frustrated and perpetually frustrating to the business. They couldn't care less about the 95% confidence score, for example. They are operating in routinely in decisions that if modeled after the fact, and I have done a lot of that kind of work in the past, routinely come in the high teens to high 20s in terms of confidence scores. And that's their norm. That's their routine situation. So the way that they're looking at the effect of great analytics is that if you can get me into the 30s, Man, if you can get me into the 40s, if you can get me to a point where every time I have to remake that decision, I'm a half a point better than I was the day before. If you're a business leader and you have to make the same decision every morning for 365 mornings and a half a point improvement per day is something that's achievable, consistently, by the end of the year on, a, on an annualized basis, you're bumping what, almost 2,000% right. improvement, right? By anybody's standards, that is huge. If you cut it in half, it is still huge. And if you cut it in half again, it's pretty damn amazing. I think that that is the kind of thing that we have to really be aware of. And the last thing is the issue of latency and scalability and speed and understandability. These have nothing to do with the math and everything to do with the way that analytics operationalize into the business. And if data science teams aren't executing against those priorities, if they are loving complexity too much, if they are eight years in still working on data management and not able, not ready yet to help the business with causal questions, that's a huge problem. And uh, we're seeing actually a lot of that right now to the point where a lot of you guys may or may not remember this, but 20 some odd years ago, after Y2K, a lot of enterprise IT organizations got pulled under finance, not because finance thought that it knew more about it than IT, but because they said what happened with Y2K was so ridiculous 
that we are going to put a new culture. We're going to graft a new culture onto enterprise IT, and it's going to be a T-shaped perspective. It's going to be a business first, let's call it finance first um, perspective on technology. And 20 some odd years later, they're doing the same thing in many cases with data science teams. I think you hit on a number of, of excellent points. You mentioned something that I think is, is especially important when you look at data science problems through a technology lens. And that's, it's not about getting to that very last percentile of, of optimization. And our love and, and desire for big numbers and, and huge improvements right, to a point whether it's 95% accurate or a double-digit X in improvement. In many cases, in realistically, in, in business, to your point, even a fraction of a percent or a, a few percent can have a huge impact in absolute numbers. So I think it also depends on, on, on the metric and the unit of measure that you take as your basis to see how successful something is. I've, I've seen that before too, right? It's where we're able to automate 80 or 90 or 95% of this or that process, if you're at 10% or 20, 30 is, is actually a really good step up. What's also really important to say is that the origin of the 95% confidence score is physical sciences. As soon as you get into the social sciences, meaning anything having to do with human behavior at all, the, the best that you can expect is 50-ish for a lot of really super pure data science. They won't even consider 50% confidence scores to be worth anything at all. Building on that and, and building on, on that communication or maybe not speaking the, the same language. It's a known issue and a known fact, right, that business and data science teams don't always communicate well. And you already alluded to it, they're not speaking the, the same language. But I wonder from, from your vantage point, why, why hasn't that been solved yet if it is a known issue? I think it's because there's a huge cultural gap. Can we just talk frankly here for a second? These are two groups of people who are so far apart in the way that they see the world that they would not choose most of the time to have cocktails with each other. This is a little bit of an extension of what we all went through in high school, the, the jocks versus the nerds and all that kind of stuff, right? Never the twain shall meet. This is a, an adult version of that problem. And part of it is the, the language. So one of the things that I love about hanging out with data scientists is that they are among the most argumentative people on the face of the earth. They will pick up the cudgels uh, on how many angels dance on the head of a pin kind of argument at the drop of a hat. They're ready to go. And I happen to personally enjoy that kind of sparring as well. So even though I'm a business guy and I'm ultra pragmatic, I can totally hang with that. Most business leaders just aren't even remotely interested in that and don't have the time, don't have the inclination and think that the whole thing is just ridiculous, right? So there's a numerator denominator relationship here and the business is the permanent denominator. So the business is not going to change to become more like what data science wants it to be. It's going to have to be the other way around. 
So that's either something that you're okay with as a data scientist and you can make those adjustments or you can't. And I'm not saying that you should be one or the other. I think that you definitely, you owe it to yourself and a lot of other people to know what is true for you and act accordingly. Because yes, salaries for data scientists inside of companies can be really good. But what goes with that is the expectation that you're going to do what they want you to do. And that you're gonna you're gonna meet the goals and expectations and be malleable to their cultural perspective around business. Mark, that, that brings up another important point, I think, and, and that's the, the role of the leader. There's certainly mm -hmm. so many different requirements and, and different expectations when you're pulled you're being pulled in so many different directions if you're managing an ai or a data science team right and on one hand you are, are most likely technically savvy or, or have been in a data science role yourself before so you have a good understanding of, of this side of, of the business but at the same time you need to manage expectations up towards your management which could be a cio cdo cto chief analytics officer type role and collaborate mm -hmm. across with different business units, with different business leaders. Maybe you need to increase AI literacy and, and shape that mindset that AI is something important that's there that helps you, right? All these kind of things. And then on, on top of it, you also need to coach your team and, and give them guidance. Hey, if you're working with this business team right, in, in a specific domain, here are things you need to be aware of, right? Or maybe coach them before they go into a presentation. Yes, there are some uh, some metrics and, and, and some numbers and, and some um, more technical results that we all, all know of. But to your point, your business peer is, is not going to care so much about whether it's 98.0 or 98.2% accuracy. The question is, what am I getting out of it? So what other challenges or requirements do you see there for, for leaders to help their teams move up and, and have that conversation on a different level beyond just pure technology. So you're absolutely right. And one of the things that I end up doing a lot in different companies is helping with that. There's a lot of CDOs currently in those roles that are not very T-shaped themselves. I mean, they don't really understand very much about the business themselves. And so it's really hard for them to guide their teams effectively in that respect. So here's some key rules that I have found work all the time, no exceptions. It's great if you have a switched on CDO. It's great if you are that switched on CDO, but these apply at every level because you're going to have peer-to-peer conversations about data science and business, it's not all going to be hierarchical. Okay. So number one, if you sit there and wait to be directed by the business, you've already lost. So the way that you have to do this is you have to sit down with the business leader that you're closest to, that you're working with and say, Hey, what are the top 10, top 20, top 50, whatever the number is, questions uh, or decisions that keep you up late, that if we were able to 
give you greater clarity about what's actually happening and all the variables that come together to produce a particular outcome related to that decision or that question, that it would really help you. He or she's not going to understand how the math and all that kind of stuff, and you don't have the time to try and make them data literate, right? That is a much longer term project. And again, if you try to start out there, you will end up spending a year on that and you will have done nothing else and you will have nothing to show for your work, right? Bad idea to start there. You have to push some of these balls together at the same time to varying degrees, knowing that the most important thing is that you give them something that they find really valuable and you do it again and again. And that is what is called earning your right to be heard and then earning your right to gain additional investment earning your right to do even more, to ask even more, to become even more indispensable to the decision-making process of the company. But all that has to be built just like a house, right? You can't just do the beautiful interior and then build the exterior piece. That's not the way it works. So you got to really start very basically when we are onboarding a new customer, we actually chair Uh, a meeting with, usually it has a lot of the C-suite leaders in this meeting, and we ask them that very same question. What do you most want to know? And then we start working with the internal team to help them build out models uh, of causality in proof that then become effectively nearly autonomous in terms of recalculation of the model and and uh, and it becomes an on-demand business GPS in the, in the sense of, of what's going on on any given question that's being posed. The reason why I'm talking about that briefly is that it is an automated process that is the process that you guys need to be really thinking about when you're working with the business. And I can also see that, that it norms the, the, the C-suite or those participating, right? Are these the questions we, we really want to ask and, and, and have an answer for? Are these the most critical ones and, and drive that alignment and, and, and that, the, the discussion, right? And I'm looking at the chat and I see Sujata says at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to return on investment. Let me amplify on that just a little. Return on investment is also historical. By the time you can compute it, you can't do anything about it. That's what makes it historical. So what really matters is being able to forecast ROI and then compare that all throughout the process to the actuals that are being delivered at any given time. Again, this is very much like a GPS, right? The GPS says this is where you should be on your route. And we've all seen this, particularly if you're walking in Manhattan, the dot doesn't necessarily represent where you actually are. So that has to be adjusted. That has to be brought into a place of fidelity. Occasionally you have to reroute in the face of changing conditions. So the route that you were on 
could have been exactly the best way to get to your business goal and then stuff in the world in the marketplace your competitors whatever changed and that's not the best route anymore at least not right now so you got to go somewhere else that makes a lot of sense yeah now look we're coming up towards the end of the show and i was wondering if you can summarize the three key takeaways for our audience today before we wrap up i would say that the three key takeaways are you have to lead the business in your area they are generalists you are a specialist in data science but if you talk to them in data science terms you're not going to connect you have to be able to talk about data science in business terms what it's going to get them from a business benefit i think you also have to completely readjust away from a cult of precision into something that is more like a cult of pragmatism i think that is super key where in the companies that i'm aware of where data science teams are in really bad trouble with the business it's because they spent all this time money and effort on very complex arcane data management which a lot of businesses regard as roads to nowhere why why did they regard them as roads to nowhere because when they turned around 18 months ago and asked the data science teams for help understanding the dynamic events that were changing and what that needed to mean for the way that they conducted business the data science teams a lot of times told them hey I'm, we're not ready to do that we're still working on the road to nowhere you just can't do that that's like signing your own death warrant professionally speaking anyway at that company and then the third i would say is you have to see this not from a mathematical process although we all understand that, that is important but if you can't operationalize uh, analytics at the clock speed of the business there's a something in the military called the ooda loop it's the speed with which you observe orient decide and act it's an air force term there's another one called vuca right talks about the volatility and uncertainty of of the environment right if you can't uda really fast in a vuca environment which is the kind of thing we're all in right now you are screwed okay so if you are modeling if you're creating models that are only updated once or twice a year that is not going to cut it in this day and age it's just not and Those would be the three big points that I would make. Perfect. Thank you so much. Mark, like I said, we're coming up to the end of the show. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your expertise with us. And for those of you in the audience, thanks for learning with us today. Mark, it was great to have you on. Hey, thank you. Thanks, guys. And I appreciate the questions. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining and learning with us. See you next time for another round of the Intelligence Briefing. What's the buzz?